leading the way for powerful discussion with thought leaders, business moguls, decision makers, and strong opinions. This is the John Pyle Podcast. All right. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, John. I am uh, here, and Chris has me. Uh, we're with Chris Woodruff, and he got me a uh, nice cup of black coffee because he knows what I like. And uh, so we're just going to talk a little bit. Chris, you know I'm starting the podcast, so Con- this is in the early days of it. So uh, Congratulations. I don't know what background music it's going to be on here yet or... You know what you're going to be, uh, what you're going to sound like, but I know it's going to be good. I'm sure I'm going to sound horrible. No, no, but no. Uh, I'm glad you're cutting your teeth on me. <laughs> or I'll just transcribe what you said and get hire, hire a voice actor to read back what you uh, what you said. Either Denzel Jones or Denzel Washington <laughs> or James Earl Jones. There you go. Preferred. Good, good choices. So um, anyway, I want to talk to Chris because Chris is an interesting, uh, authentic, unique. Uh, Entrepreneur, business person, what the hell do you do, Chris? You know, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, I'm still trying to figure that out. Uh, I dabble in a little bit of everything, kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. Okay, everything from real estate development to um, investing in small businesses, uh, investing in startups. Do a lot of work with the community through our family foundation. I'm involved with uh, two other startups um, right now as well. But uh, the bulk of my time is spent working for the Cotton Companies, which is a company I created in 2016. It's a real estate development company, and mm-hmm. we focus on adaptive reuse projects. Okay. So we, we look for the, the buildings that are dilapidated and uh, falling down, preferably uh, historic structures or structures pre, pre-World War II. Is that the uh, we buy ugly houses type? type? Yeah, except on a bigger scale. And okay. it's, not, it's not a house. It's, it's a commercial building. So we, uh, we, t- we take those buildings and we rehab them kind of from cradle to grave, come up with a concept, put, put a tenant in there, uh, lease it up, and have an income-producing property. Uh, the, the mission and goal of, of the company is to positively change the community through the built environment. And so I, I have this ideology that we are impacted by the buildings that, that surround us every day. Mm-hmm. And when they are run down, when they are in a state of disrepair, it um, will be, an, it will create a negative flow. Sure. In the community. So our hope is that, you know, one building at a time, we can start to change that for Columbus or whatever community we happen to be um, in at that time. Yeah. Speaking of this office is like amazing. If I had a dream office, this would, this would be it. But what I pulled up here, we are in downtown Columbus at your office at the, at the Cotton Company. But I look outside and uh, I've actually photographed it before with the drone and with the camera. And I see the, uh, the park with the orange squares in that. And you're responsible for that, right? Um, yes, myself, along with, with some other folks, there was a team involved. Um, and they're, they're red. They're, they're red they're squares. Red. <laughs> they, they started to become orange because they, they were faded, but a okay. friend of mine helped out and um, we, we repainted them. So now nice. they're red again. They're red. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> yes. what is that? Tell me. What was it before? What is it now? Why? Why? Right. So <clears throat> in downtown Columbus, it's a, a two-lane road. Uh, Broadway is a two-lane street with a 40-foot wide median that separates you know north and south traffic uh, either way. And... Probably back in, uh, I guess, the 1920s or so, uh, 1930s, beautiful oak trees were planted in the median. And so we have been fortunate as a community to watch these trees grow. And we have these gigantic oaks that provide shade and, and um, respite for, for folks that are crossing the median. But it, it really makes our downtown look beautiful. 
However, trees die um, or they become sick. And our city arborist uh, noticed that the tree that sits out in the median right in front of my office and, and Kilwins and um, the restaurant was dying. So they, the city came in to cut it down. What I was forced to you know, realize was that there was a, a blank canvas in front of me where a tree used to be a beautiful, mm-hmm. you know, 40 foot tall, probably 10 foot wide oak tree that was now no longer. And there was just a bare stump. So wow. uh, it was a little bit disappointing, you know, uh, by a little bit, I mean a lot enough to kind of get me riled up. And when I get riled up, I usually <laughs> start trying to figure out a solution mm-hmm. um, because I wasn't patient enough to watch the city come in and, and plant, you know, a six inch caliper tree and wait another 80 years for it to be as big as wow. existing. So because of that and because of my impatience, I uh, started to kind of contemplate this idea of how do we change this negative into a positive? How do we find opportunity here? And I was kind of taken back in my head through some of my days at Boulder uh, in Colorado. Uh, when I went to school there as a, as a young tyke, um, there was a place called Pearl Street, which had these little small, what we call pocket parks yeah. uh, along Pearl Street and um, kids would play in them. And it was, it was a great, a great way to, to activate something that was heretofore not activated. So I kind of stole that idea. I, I drew something out, put it on paper, and I called my good buddy Will Barnes uh, at Barn Gibson and Partners. Mm-hmm. And um, he's an architect, and he helped kind of flush it out and then worked with Gary Gallat, who's a landscape architect as well, to, to kind of come up with a concept plan that I could then pitch to the city, to Uptown Columbus as, hey, guys, here's an idea to make the median a more attractive and usable amenity for our Uptown uh, because I really – from 1860 until 1920, our medians were used. Uh, people sold goods there. There were trolley stations. Um, there, there was a use for the median at uh, a certain point in time. I wanted to bring that back. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So the mayor, uh, Mayor Tomlinson, um, was excited about it. The city manager, Isaiah Hughley, was excited about it. And uh, the president of Uptown was excited about this, this concept. However, what lacked was a source of funds. Okay. Um, so I, I kind of, because I had started this, you know, idea flow, it really fell on to me to fund it because the city wasn't going to fund it. Although they loved the idea, it wasn't their responsibility to fund a, a, a citizen-inspired park. So this timeline, I mean, this sounds like a lot of hoops to jump. Was this like a weekly, is this a couple of weeks this process took place or months or I think it was about a year and a half from, okay. from start to finish. So for somebody impatient, that sounds... <laughs> That's got to drive you crazy. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And people have called me worse than crazy. Yeah. So, but, but you know, a year and a half is, is a lot shorter time than 80 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can, so that, that's kind of was the impetus for it. But um, I'd come up with a budget. And so I was then forced to, I wasn't forced, but I had the task ahead of me to raise the funds necessary to, to build this park. Um, so you now you were a developer and now you're a fundraiser. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Which is basically what a developer does anyway, trying to get equity for their their projects. So I went out and, you know, hat in hand, asking for money for this park. And we had a lot of stakeholders in the community that uh, loved the idea and they supported it. And so they helped fund it. So the park that I kind of conceived was funded by private citizens um, who understood the vision and who supported Uptown and who believed that you can activate an unusable 
a sort of speak unusable space. Mm -hmm. um, so we raised the funds. Um, we wrote a, a, a tight budget on the project, um, but it was a fun and exciting project to do. And everyone that was involved um, really got behind it and kind of owned it as their own, which is something you really want to, to occur in any in any development you do. And by that I mean we had you know Alexander Electric you know, helping us out by kind of donating their hours, and so. The, the cost of the budget was able to be managed because of all the help from all the subcontractors and the, the city and the public service uh, utilities. Mm -hmm. So it really was a team-driven, community, all-hands-on-deck project that um, you know, could not have been really perpetuated or successful without everyone's involvement. Wow. Now, there was a—I pulled up one day— because the gym that we go to was, is down there. So I would see the progress of it every day. And I pulled up and there was a tense few days there, right? Where there were either it was a tree did not get planted or there was, it was at risk of uh, not flourishing. Is that the right? What happened? Well, yeah. So um, anytime you work with, with trees or uh, anything that's alive, you mm -hmm. run the risk of damaging it or... Or it dying. Yeah, we're dying. Right, right. Anytime, yeah, anytime you're anything like that, it may die. So um, we had ordered these six beautiful um, swamp white oak trees, eight inch calipers. So they're huge, you know, twenty two feet tall trees with a root base that was about five feet mm. wide. So they arrived. Uh, we put them in the ground, and we noticed, you know, immediately that a couple of them started getting sick. Mm -hmm. And you could tell that because the leaves leaves were dropping and. Um, it, it got a lot of us very scared because there's no return policy really on a tree, <laughs> right? So when you buy it, it's, it's a valid of, concern. It, it yeah. is. It is. Yeah. So it's yours. Um, yeah. And I'm a developer. I know nothing about, you know, uh, my, my green thumb is as brown as it gets. So um, we uh, looked upon uh, Trees Columbus to come kind of help guide that process. And they were invaluable in uh, well, helping cool. everyone understand what was at stake here with these trees? Mm -hmm. And they brought in a specialist. Um, you know, they actually are the ones who donated the funds to purchase the trees. Wow. Fact. So, like I said, uh, yeah, there were some very tense moments during that, that particular time when we were trying to figure out, are these trees going to live, right? Or, or was this project all for naught? And so by pulling the team in together and, and bringing in the right professionals to help, we got through it. Wow. Yeah. Really the only way you can do it. You can't throw up your hands and go, I'm, I'm done. You have to find a solution. Or there's, we're just going to have three trees instead of six. Yeah. Right. Which would drive me crazy. <laughs> which would get me back to the you know, starting point. And right. Have to start a whole new project again. Right. And we didn't want that. So what's that like to, to look out and see, like I get excited when, when a client sends me a picture of work I've created for them that's hanging up, you know, a family or a high school senior or a portrait that's hanging up. But for you to be able to look out or drive by and see a park that was in your head that's now out there and people sitting at it or that. I, I see them all the time. They go to Kilwin, especially in the spring, summer. They get their ice cream. They go over there. Photo shoots are happening. Kids are jumping up and down. What is that like to know that that came vomiting out of your head? <laughs> Appreciate, appreciate yeah, yeah. Out. yeah. I, I, so, so you like my idea? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good vomit. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. It's a healthy vomit. Um, you know, it, it's surreal. It really is. Um, one of my mentors, uh, Matt Swift, who I had the, I was honored to work for him when I was at the Bradley Company, 
learned a lot from him. But the first thing he told me uh, when I started out as an intern, as he was driving me around the city and kind of explaining, here's what WC Bradley has built, here's the, some of the retail developments, blah, blah, blah. He said to me, you know, the great thing about being a developer and the most exciting thing about being a developer is that you can drive past your projects and you can get excited and you can feel good in your heart that you, that you did that, that you built that. And it, and it gets you excited and there's a sense of satisfaction and self, self-worth, et cetera, when you, when you see that. And then he raised his finger and he said, you know, the downside is that you can drive by your projects and go, oh my gosh, I did that. It was horrible. <laughs> Oh, the community hates me for that. So, so it's you know it's surreal because you hope that what you're doing is the right thing, mm-hmm. and um, you want buy-in from the community or the, the 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 stakeholders in the area. So it is surreal to to drive by or look out my window and see kids doing exactly what you know playing on the blocks like I saw in my head. Oh, yeah. I, I can imagine it when I envision this project, and then here they are doing it. So it's very surreal. It's, it's cool to be able to explain that to people, and then. They're kind of like I don't, I don't really know, or and and then when they actually see it, there's the uh-huh, oh, okay, that's what he meant. So yeah. I, I I agree that that's probably very cool, but also frustrating to try to convey. Why can't they see see what I'm thinking? You know, why can't they grasp the concept that I'm coming up with? So that's that's uh that's that's pretty amazing. You're you're the wood. I mean, we see the we see and hear the Woodruff name a lot around the community. Your family's been here. Forever, yeah. Well, tell me about the history of the Woodruff family and, like, in 1746 yes, when Matthew Woodruff came over. Let's go there. Wow, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so my grandfather was into genealogy, and so was my great grandmother, and they passed that on to me. Um, right. Matthew Woodruff came over to the United States in about 1746. Had a son. Sent the son down to Georgia with some money in his pocket, and that son uh, ended up in Macon, which at the time was the capital of Georgia. That's right, um, yep. Because Atlanta was actually called Terminus at that point in time. Um, and, you know, over the course of a you know, couple decades, he and his family started making their way over west to, uh, to what, what was Columbus, which was a small mill town uh, at the time. And from the 18, probably 40s, I guess, uh, up until now, the Woodruffs have been in Columbus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they kind of split off in the early 1900s and a bunch of them went to Atlanta. Okay. And so that's why you'll see the name kind of floating around Georgia. Is it, is it all started from, I think it was Georgia, which big, yeah, or Matthew, one of them, Matthew II, I don't know. But uh, it started from one and it, it's the whole, like, it's that explorer, uh, that that immigrant concept. It's the, uh, it's the idea of starting one place and building yourself and your family and, and your impact on the world over the course of multiple generations. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is where, when did this passion for for you begin? I mean, when did you know, hey, I want to grow up and, and make changes and develop things and build and create instead of, hey, I want to go argue in front of a judge or I want to draw things or I want to, you know, play sports. Like, what, when did that when did you come to that self-realization? Ironically, two of the things you just mentioned are in development. Okay. Ar- arguing with judges and, and, and drawing stuff. <laughs> uh, so, a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when did that occur? When did I really become uh, enamored with this idea of real estate and development? Mm-hmm. That uh, that occurred was twenty. It was twenty. 
uh, maybe, yeah. So you grew up here in Columbus. Right. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I grew up in Columbus, uh, went to uh, grade school, middle school, high school here. Uh, left and swore I'd never come back. It was 1997, you know, I'm like, I can't stand this town. I'm yeah, out. I'm out of here. Get yeah. Out. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just kind of waved. Done with Columbus. That's right. And I headed yeah. off to Boulder, Colorado, and uh, as a freshman at, at CU Boulder, and uh, vowed never to return. I was going to live out there and snowboard and go to school, yada, yada, yada. Um, and I did for, for three years. And around the third year, I, I got burnt out mm-hmm. and um, needed a break and was is wise enough at the time to to recognize that took a break came back to columbus to uh and, and took a, a job working for my grandfather barnett woodruff uh, who um, at the time was kind of on the tail end of his you know uh his, my brain stopped yeah your grandfather was <sighs> sorry no that's okay what was it you worked for him right when you right. came back okay uh yeah so i worked so my grandfather mm-hmm. was you know, his, his professional career was kind of on the, the downward slope, and I came in and, and had the opportunity to work for him. So I during that semester away from CU, I, I worked for my granddad, as I call him, Papa, and he took me around, showed me, you know, some of the properties that he had developed. Uh, he took me out and had me managing some of the timberland, and uh, it was it was an amazing experience uh, that I'll never forget, but that's what really drove me into real estate. Okay. Uh, at, at no point in time in my childhood did I ever say, hey, I want <laughs> to be a developer. You know, I, I'm going to grow up one day and have a park. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think I never even wanted to grow up. Yeah. And I don't know if I am. Uh, yeah, I was going to say. I'll, I'll get there. <laughs> so, one day. Uh, yeah. One day. Um, so that was where it all started. And that, um, that excitement of development of real estate is what pushed me to go back to see you finish up and then move back and start working for him again which I did when I was 21 and I worked for him for three years wow so kind of learning the, the tricks of the trade so to speak from the old school I think it's good to um, you know I hear that a lot is that I've got to get out of Columbus I hear it um, but I think the the it's a good thing to leave but the one of the flaws is not coming back and bringing new things here. I think a, maybe a flaw would be to go out, live, experience, learn, take in things, and come back here and not do anything with what you did and get right back on the same assembly line that, that, that you left with. But, you know, for, for you, you were, was that last year, Entrepreneur of the Year? Uh, or two? Yes, okay. 2017. What is that? mean in a town like Columbus because a lot of times I think Columbus is uh, entrepreneur means to a lot of people a real estate agent or a banker I mean we're a big town of, of that so you know I kind of get maybe frustrated it's not the word but there's a lot of talent here which is one of the reasons I, I like the, this podcast idea there are uh, teachers there are developers there are graphic designers there are artists there are uh, gym owners and other entrepreneurs that do things outside of a financial arena. So, what does entrepreneur in this town mean to mean to you? And how to tell tell me about the award and what it means to you? Right. So, the Entrepreneur of the Year award um, that was from the I guess voted on by the Columbus Chamber of Commerce mm-hmm. uh, was blessed to receive that award in 2017. That's a, a really a tremendous uh, impact because it. it knowing that I have 
kind of reached that level to where others, you know, other peers saw me as someone who was really moving forward. That, that meant a lot to me. Yeah. And I'm very thankful for that. Um, but being an entrepreneur, um, to me, that's really been innately part of who I am and who my family is because most everything that was done in our family over the generations that we've been here have all been based out of a startup or an idea and the businesses that come up from those ideas need other businesses to help support them so that's you know so my great granddad was great at that he for instance he started a uh, he was building radio towers from Columbus to Atlanta and in order to do that you have to find an acre of land clear it and, yep. you know remove the trees and, and do all this stuff and in that process what is it with the trees Chris is that- <laughs> There's there's something there. There's a tree. That, did you did you used to climb trees? Did, did, I, did, did. I did. I did. I think trees are one of the most beautiful things that we have, actually. And, uh, they're amazing. Um, they're my best friend. There you go. Yeah. Um, so so you know, Papa Jim, he would um, he went from building water tower or uh, radio towers to building other businesses to support that process. So it, from from building a, a radio tower came um, a timber, you know, mill. A timber, a trucking company to haul the timber from these sites. Uh, and you had a planer mill, uh, and then you had the trucks were uh, the trailers were getting beat up, so he had to start a spring company to, you know, be able to repair the axles and, and put new wow. springs on trucks. So it's kind of you know you don't know you're doing it. You just know in order to accomplish the the, the main goal, you gotta fix it. And I see a common theme of see a problem, find a solution. Exactly, and so being an entrepreneur is really taking on the project in your head yourself and that project is a business and it becomes a business and you are the uh, you're the soul you, you know, the buck stops with you mm-hmm. and so it's all kind of on your shoulders most people think of it as an entrepreneur as a small business owner but uh, everyone and everything starts with an entrepreneur mm-hmm. it may grow into you know this huge corporation it may grow into Affleck it may grow into Apple but it all started with somebody going hey, I've got an idea. Let's see if we can make this thing work. Let's see if it has legs. And that just builds and builds and builds. Finding the problem. That's you right. know. Yeah, there's a problem, fix it. Yep, that's, so, that's awesome. Being an entrepreneur, it's, it's in my blood. It's, um, it's what I know. When I had the opportunity to work at the Bradley Company, that, that helped me understand what being in a corporate environment was like Mm -hmm. and so being able to take what I learned there and marry it with kind of my grandfather's entrepreneurial management strategies and style has really helped me to become I believe a much uh, more well-rounded businessman so you have you've gone out and and you've brought in like I talked about you didn't go out and just come back and sink your head down you you brought in ideas and work ethic and solutions and you've implemented them here. Do you feel like Columbus is a is or can be more of a entrepreneurial entrepreneurial <laughs> it's a difficult word. One more cup of coffee. Yeah. Uh, environment that, that can it can it sustain that? Can it cater to that? Is it becoming that? You know, I think it's it's an interesting question because I believe that every community has a strong entrepreneurial base. The successes and the growth of those types of communities uh, to where they become kind of known as a startup city or whatever it may be really uh, goes back to how much support can they get, whether it be from uh, an economic standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, from a uh, 
civic standpoint, from you know public, private, whatever it may be. I think Columbus is getting there, um, and, and a great testament to that statement is the fact that five million dollars was raised or was raised by the community um, to be put forth and utilized for the the film industry to try and attract more films into Columbus. And so, Huge. to me, that shows that we have a community that wants to support the entrepreneurial path as long as it's for the betterment of this community, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think you could. You used to be able to just put Columbus in this box, you know, and put stick a label on it and say, this is Columbus. But now there's a lot more opinions. There's a lot more uh, uh, thought leaders. There's a lot more... Um, people recommending and wanting things. I think it's a lot different. I mean, I can remember coming downtown 10 years ago when I had my studio space uh, over there next to Jimmy Jewel- Jimmy's Jewelers and um, on a Sunday to do a photo shoot and you could turn your head and look in either direction it wouldn't be a car. Yeah. Which I love because I could park. <laughs> <laughs> but now on Saturday and Sunday, it's just it's just slammed. I mean, there there is no place uh, to park, which is a which is a good thing for the economy and, and good for the city of Columbus. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot here and ask you uh, about something else you came you came back with, and uh, it's it's on your is it on your right arm or your left arm? Oh, uh, <laughs> both, both. Yeah, you talk about skin art. Yes, yes. skin art. Uh, yes, I do have a, I have a tattoo. Okay. I have a couple. Let's talk about it. All right. Yeah. yeah. Um, it drives my, because my mother and my sister absolutely insane. As it and should. So yeah. I apologize, <laughs> you know, publicly to them. Because if you know Chris you and you see Chris around, uh, Chris is always dressed really cool and, and uh, it looks great. We both get our hair done uh, at the same, same location, so it's got to be on point. But Chris... Uh, uh, th- where, where did you get the tattoo? And, and tell us about it. What is it? Um, so the, I guess the one you're referring to, the, the bigger one, um, which is about a half sleeve, that was done up in New York. There's a, a couple great artists at a place called Bang Bang, and um, uh, I had that done when I was 37. Okay, I believe uh, so, or 38. And the point of me saying that is, I want I've wanted a tattoo since I was 16. However, it was driven in my head that I, A, should never get a tattoo, B, if I ever did, it damn well better be something that I know I can live with. Mm-hmm. And I took that to heart, and so what I did was, I, for you know, 20 plus years, I was designing and coming up with the idea of what I thought might be something that I could live with on my skin. And it just never hit, it was never, it was never the aha, hell yeah moment. You mean as far as the design or where right. it was going to go? Both. Okay. Both. I just knew that I wanted one. And so... This is this something that people listen to this? Are they going to be like, I didn't know he had that? Or does, do most people uh, know? Probably They probably don't. And, okay. and a lot of folks I don't think would expect that I, I would have yeah, one that's either. Yeah. So, um, so there'll be a link to see Chris's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> go to bangbangtattoos.com. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it, it is a surprise, I think, for most people um, because it... it a lot of folks aren't used to tattoos, and a lot of folks associate tattoos with different types of people. Um, so, there's, yeah, there's I mean a negative connotation to some people, especially you know down here. Right, there, there's absolutely a stigma with it. But mine, I would venture to say, is an actual piece of art. Um, the, the artist who did it spent five days uh, on my arm, which was a, a long time and a lot of pain. But the the subject matter is near and dear to my heart, um, mm-hmm. and it's. So I'm a huge advocate of, uh, of the arts, but even more so uh, 
something that drives me every day is my faith. And this, I happened upon a painting um, that I saw by Flemish painter Peter Paul Rubens, and it was the War of the Angels. And it depicts his interpretation of Revelation 12, 7, which is um, the fall of the, you know, the, the dragon, of the devil, the war in heaven where St. Michael is, is defeating the dragon and casting him out of heaven. And that spoke to me. Um, it spoke to my soul. It spoke to my heart. And I knew that that imagery and the way that Rubens had done that painting um, was something that I, I needed to see on a daily basis. Because wow. for me, the, you know, that chapter of Revelation is, it's a critical moment, but it, in that it tells a story of, of good and evil. And there was a war, there's always going to be a war between good and evil. Um, for me, that's an internal struggle that I have. And uh, not that I'm an evil person, but you know, trying to do the right thing versus the little devil on your shoulder that says, no, no, do, do, do this, do this, mm -hmm. do this. So it, it was my way of trying to permanently remind myself through skin art, really, to always aim for St. Michael. Always try to be, uh, do the right thing, and do the, do the best thing and um, fight for God, basically. So uh, every morning I see it, you know, and it's there and it's, it's loud, it's in your face. But it's also, I've had a lot of people tell me it's a beautiful piece of art. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of what covers the outside of my, my right arm. Um, and then on the inside is a, another piece that was done by Bang Bang up there. Um, and it's the cross of, of St. James, which, uh, Santiago. Um, and that's, you know, a really, again, it goes back to my faith journey. Uh, and that's a, just a commentary for me, really, that this gigantic cross on my bicep is a commentary for me and a reminder for me of my pilgrimage that I, I did in 2012 where I walked the Camino, uh, the Portuguese Camino, and I walked 100 plus miles from Porto, uh, Portugal, all the way up into Spain and, and to uh, the Compostela de Santiago. Wow. And, and that week-long, you know, walk was solo, was by myself, and it gave me a, a lot of time to reflect on my life at that point in time. And it was, it was when my faith became stronger than ever, I think. And so I, I want to keep those memories close at hand. And, and if it takes a tattoo to remind me. Uh, then so be it. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those are the important things in my life is my faith. Uh, and really that's it. And, and it's a journey. Um, and so any kind of reminder or help you can get, in my opinion, is not going to hurt. Impressive, yeah, it's, it's it's amazing. So, what did um what made you go to New York? Like, did, did you find this guy, or you saw some work he did, or? So again, it goes back to trying to make make the best decision uh, you can with a permanent, mm -hmm. you know, ink piece on your arm. And uh, in all my research, I found that uh, the Bang Bang Studios, in my opinion, were you know some of the best artists in the world. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, Saved my money in my piggy bank, and I went up to New York, and I plopped it on the counter and said, this is what I want. So you were there. You went up on a Friday. I remember talking to you about it. You were heading out. And, yeah, uh, yeah. So like a Saturday, or a fr was it a Friday-Saturday you went for the first time? or I think it was. I may have taken some time off from work and 
like done a Wednesday, Thursday. Deal. Okay. And then I had to go back again for two more times. And so what was it done. like that first day? You sit down in the chair, right? And, and here it goes. Yeah, you're, I, you're in for the long haul. And, and once the, the needle hits the first time, you realize, ah, this is a tattoo. This might not be so bad. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know why everybody complains about the pain. <laughs> and then after two hours solid of that guy digging into your arm with it, with needles, you realize, oh, yeah, this is this is going to be a long road. Wow, <laughs> wow. So it was, you know, I think at ten a.m. to nine p.m. session each day. Are you talking to the guy? Are you just, are you reading first, or watching yeah. a movie? Or like what's at, at first? You're talking and you're, yeah. you're having a great time, and then the pain starts to set in. So you listen to music. Okay. And then you know by the tail end of the day, you're just just clutching on for dear life. Go, go. It's that bad. Like it, it, the pain level goes up. Well, like, yeah, just because they keep, they're digging at the same spot over and over again. Okay. And so it just, it becomes kind of mind numbing after a while. Yeah. But uh, it's an experience. Absolutely. Wow. That's amazing. So it's done though, right? It's, it is. It's, it's done. Um, they, they photographed it and they, they've accepted the fact that they did it and I've accepted the fact that they've done it. And, <laughs> Weird. Has everybody else accepted the fact? No, that, okay. absolutely not. Okay, uh, but I'm I'm through with it, and it's 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 accomplished my goal, and so selfishly, that's what I really wanted. Well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. You know, something else I want to ask you about because uh, I've seen you come in the in the coffee shop before. We usually in there in the morning, getting loaded up on our cafe and see each other, and uh, there on your hip is a firearm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, uh, open carry and, um, you know, what's up with the gun? Um, we, and that's really depending on the day I yeah. think, uh, and what I may be getting into. Uh, I believe in, you know, the right to bear arms, um, as long as it's done responsibly. You know, I believe that if you're going to carry, you, you absolutely must go get your carry permit mm-hmm. um, and do the legwork of being checked out by the FBI and the GBI. That's the small price we have to pay to, to carry a, a firearm. But I believe in protection, and I believe that, unfortunately, we live in a society where the bad guys will kill you. Uh, and there have been incidences that I have been aware of um, or things that have happened to people that I know, mm-hmm. and a gun is what saved them. You know, that their, their firearm, that they were able to fight and, and break free from the attacker and, and get a hold of their gun is what allowed them to survive mm-hmm. and be alive and, and ultimately put the you know, the bad guy in jail. Um, so it, it's not, I don't take it lightly. I mean, you don't you, you don't carry a gun to be like, hey, look at my gun, yeah. uh, which is why I keep mine on the inside of my, my hip. And so when you when you park the horse in the cowboy hat, and, the, and, the, and that's also a part of the, uh, the gun? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Spur, spurs jingling. Like the spur, exactly, I thought that was a little odd. Yeah. No, it's, it's really because you don't know what's going to happen, and there are a lot of times in my job where I am in rough areas mm-hmm. sometimes, and so it's uh, again it goes back to protection. Right. You don't flaunt it. You don't you know, wave it around. It's it's there. No one should really know you have it. You know, mm-hmm. um, which is why I keep again keep it on the inside of my hip so no one can see it. But in a in a bad situation. You want to be prepared. So. Do you ever get any pushback from that? Any controversy? Because it's a hot topic. I mean, what's this guy doing in the middle of the coffee shop with a gun on this? You know. Well, I think it, it's all air. I mean, it's it's area dependent, right? So mm-hmm. um, I, I get odd looks if I walk into a Starbucks and Buckhead, okay, and, and they see a, a piece, you know, on me. In Columbus, it's a little different. Yeah, right? we're a military town. Everyone, most people are, are used to seeing 
soldiers or law enforcement with with guns or a lot of private citizens with mm-hmm. guns. So I think we're probably a little more um, uh, used to it down here yeah. than other, in other places. So I've never had somebody say anything directly to me in Atlanta or here. Okay, um, but you, there's a, an absolute look of apprehension, I think, on folks' faces uh, outside of Columbus. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just wondering if somebody would ever come up and be like, dude, why are you carrying around a gun that you could hurt somebody that's dangerous? You know, You know, I think that um, they would do that once they they saw that I was no longer carrying. I think yeah. there's probably a little bit of, you know, uh, <laughs> if, you were pointing, if you were pointing up at the menu with it, like, <laughs> yeah. I want one of those. Exactly. I'll take one of those, a large black coffee. Right. Yeah, yeah. I could see that. Do you do you shoot a lot? Do you go to the range? I do go you? to the range, yes, and okay. out uh, to my country place just to, to remain uh, on target, so to speak. Yeah. And um, uh, it's always good to make sure that your firearm, you're familiar with it, you know how to break it down, clean it, yep. shoot it, and shoot it well and most importantly be safe with it that's solid yeah i'm going to talk uh actually try to get the um guy from shooters to to talk and just answer some basic questions because there's a lot of misinformation out there um i agree shooters yeah uh they do a great job of, of holding um educational clinics too, mm-hmm. and which is wonderful for the community to have that that, that type of person out there trying to <clears throat> trying to be an advocate and also trying to help people remain safe mm-hmm. which is what, what it's all about yeah because the scare tactics are definitely uh Definitely out there. That's right. Yeah. So, what does Chris do to uh, to take a break? I know you talked about the hundred mile journey and sitting in a chair getting a painful tattoo for twelve hours a day. But that's I'm talking about getting away. Like sometimes I'll click on Instagram and one minute you know you're you're honking at me at, honking at me at the at the uh, stop sign, and then it seems like two hours later you're surfing in Costa Rica like. <laughs> How does that work? I, I, How do you I, teleport I, like that? I, yeah. I travel fast. Yeah. Uh, Instagram is, is, a, is a great tool. Don't let it fool you. Yes. <laughs> That's Photoshop. Yes. Uh, no, um, I do. I, I try to get away. De- deception is reality. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I try to get away when I can um, to. You surf. Uh, that you, yeah, I yeah. do. I do. I started back in 2015 and. Um, I've been very fortunate to have some great instructors um, in Costa Rica that have helped me become a much better surfer uh, to where I can absolutely hold my own on uh, a number of different types of uh, waves and surf breaks. And uh, it's been a, a game changer for me. Uh, everything in my life has has changed for the better since I started surfing. Really? Yeah. It's. Um, what does that mean? Well, it means that uh, everything from how I... I think and react to nature, okay, and also and therein with people as well um, has has changed for the better. In that, I've often wondered about that because I hear kind of a different or read about a different mentality from a surfer. Where I'm thinking I'm going to get more pissed off because I keep falling <laughs> over and over again. But you're telling me that it's changed how you how you interact and, and, and perceive, I mean, perceive things, right? Right. That, yeah, absolutely. Because if you yeah. think about it, um, right, you know, the bulk of people on this planet remain on terra firma, right? Concrete is always underneath us where it's hard, hard, hard. We control everything around us because we can move and we can get around, right? If, if you don't want to be right here where you're standing, we'll walk over there. Yes. No problem. Yes. Um, and, it's a whole different environment when you step in a liquid because 
if the visibility is not there, you know, you don't know what's under you. And, and more importantly, you are now enveloped by a, a living body, an organism that, that is water, that is moving around you. And, and you can feel how the water pulls you and how a wave will um, start to cause you to drift or take you in, or, or you can feel this power uh, that is in the water. And so being able to immerse yourself into water in that way really does cause you to feel, look, and appreciate things in a light that I think is probably a little more receptive because, again, you were, you're a guest in the water. You know, the, the water is going to do what it's going to do. Yep. It's a funny saying we have in, in construction and development, water is going to find a way. It'll find the leak. It'll create. <laughs> if, you, if you have a hole somewhere, water will find it. So for me, being able to let go and realize that I can't control everything, that I can't control, you know, the, the aggro local surfer, I can't control his attitude right. when he gets mad at me because I didn't ride the wave right. Um, you have to let it go and you have to realize that, that you can only control how you react and how you respond. Because ultimately, you're a guest, right? So, uh, to me, surfing has helped in that respect. It, but it's changed my diet. It's changed how I work out. Um, you know, no longer am I, am I lifting weights to, to get big and buff. I'm lifting weights um, to be more agile, to be better prepared for the next time I can go surfing. That's cool. Uh, and so every time I go surfing, it's this incredible experience. Something There's always some kind of great aha or takeaway. That, that comes from a week in the water. Um, so it's uh, it, it's my my church. It's my my zen. It's my place for absolute rejuvenation, and, and I, I almost need it. Um, some of my friends around here will say, "You can." There's a huge difference uh, in the Chris you see before surfing and the Chris you see <laughs> <laughs> when he comes back. Because I'm calmer, you know, and uh, and I need that. I get too wound up. So are you carrying on the surfboard? Or? No, you know, um, salt water and steel don't. Yeah, okay. exactly. And see, that's that's one of the cool things uh, about you, I guess, and what reasons what reason why I want you to have you have you on the podcast is because you know I'm I'm hearing all this this spiritual and emotional and and creative flow of energy coming out of you and at the same time I'm looking at the glasses and the pen and you writing down measurements of architectural drawings I have no idea what that is what the hell that is um, but somebody that's you know that's dealing with numbers and permits and hardcore concrete concrete for lack of a better word uh, uh, structures and, and details to having that completely other side of your brain Mm-hmm. Which is uh, which is amazing. Which is what I kind of feel like sometimes. I was going to ask you, tell us about your family, right? Yeah. Uh, how many yeah. wives? How many kids? <laughs> <laughs> you knew I was going to bring this up. <laughs> I have a wonderful dog named Daisy. Yes, um, and have been blessed to have her in my life for eleven years. I found her on the streets in Midtown. She was. I didn't know that. Yeah, she had been beaten. Um, was bloody, emaciated. Oh. Um, just stunk to high heaven and um, we became quick friends because I had a pack of ham that I you know uh, always co- who doesn't want a pack of ham right exactly know? so yeah. I, I, I actually coaxed her over to me and then um, picked her up and took her to the vet and had her checked out and 
bandaged up and taken care of, and we became quick friends, and 11 years later, here we are. Daisy's always in the front seat of the car? or Always. Or wherever, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, no wife, no kid? No wife, no kid, just uh, coasting right now, I, I guess. Um, looking, is that a plan? It is. Uh, okay. I do want to be married, and I do want to start a family. That's a, an important thing for me, uh, if that's God's plan. Yeah. I don't want to force it. I've, I've, I've kind of tried to force things in my life, and they never work out when you do it that way. Yep. Um, so I'm trying to give it to God and see what His plan is for me. And I'm, I'm hopeful that His plan does involve a wife and children and marriage and you know a partner who can be with me forever. So that's the hope. Um, that's awesome. But I'm not going to force that. You know, it it's hard. I mean— uh, you see, I see people like Gary V and, and Bezos, is it Bezos, Bezos, Bezos with Amazon? Sure. Um, and I see these people and they're, you know, at least the perception is they're, they're and Steve Jobs, they're working 20 hours a day. You know, the brain's always racing. They're always engaged. I feel like that sometimes. I don't know how they're able to to have a family because I run a small business and it, it gets hard sometimes. It, it's not a, this perfect balance, you know, it's not family time, work time. It, it's maybe, you know, three weeks in my busy season where, you know, I'm like, Sally in, you know, I've got a, I'm, I got something every day. I got to shoot it right out. I've got this, I've got that. And the family meter drops, you know, so I have to come back and, and make that up. And it's, it's amazing and rewarding from a from a different point of view, but it's extremely difficult. I don't know how anybody from Trump does it down to Gary V down to uh, to local business owners. You know, it's difficult. Have you have you thought about you know? Because right now Chris wants to go surfing. Chris goes surfing. That's right. That's right. Uh, I'm trying to nope. get it all out of my system now. That's- <laughs> So I can be the perfect. So you can be chained down when That's it's time. Right. I yeah, can be the perfect mate. No, yeah, it, I agree with you. Uh, the work-life balance thing is absolutely critical, and um, I have some close friends who are entrepreneurs, and you know, some of them don't have a healthy work-life balance, mm-hmm. and others, you know, I aspire to be like that. I've got a buddy. When you call him at seven p.m., you get his voicemail, and it says, "If it's after seven p.m., I'm with my family. I'll return your call." In the morning. Wow. And that that's inspiring because he works his tail off, but he has committed to his wife and to his children that he will be with them uh, for, for certain times of the day. That's their time. That's definitely something to aspire to. So right. I should so, do that. What's yeah, my phone? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Seriously. Um, so, you know, the work-life balance is tough. It can absolutely be successful if you have a partner who's willing to support you mm-hmm. in that process. Uh, and I think the more an entrepreneur learns to let go of their baby, their projects, uh, and learns to trust a, a valued team or to assemble a team that can help, the, the better that they will be. You know, there, there's always a tough road to hoe at the beginning of projects and that sort of thing. And um, hopefully your spouse will, will support you in that, uh, in that endeavor just as you would support them if they did the same thing. Does your brain shut off ever? Um, no, okay. it's horrible. <laughs> it, it won't stop. And, yeah. uh, I, I wish that it would sometimes, but there's always something, right? Yeah. There's always, it's flickering on and off thinking, how can we do X? You know, what, whatever happened with Y over here? Oh mm-hmm. my gosh, uh, we've got a plan for Z that's occurring in three weeks. Um, 
uh, are there ways to do this, this, and this? Um, or, you know, oh, wow, uh, can I cook this cherry pie differently? Right. You know, what if I added lemon? So it, 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 never, <laughs> it never stops, um, you know, but that's part of it, I think. So what, what sucks about being an entrepreneur from your perspective? I don't think anything sucks. Okay. I mean, you know, it's it, everything has its pains, right? Mm-hmm. The re, it, it, the question becomes: Do the rewards outweigh the pains? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's kind of like marriage. You're going to drive somebody crazy, and they're going to drive you crazy. Well, not me. I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah, except for John Hawk. <laughs> but you know, you find a, a soulmate who's willing to put up with your level of, of craziness, just like you'll put up with theirs. So um, it's not a question of is your spouse crazy. It's a question of how much crazy can you handle, <laughs> and um, it, that that's kind of like being an entrepreneur. Um, it's as long as the good outweighs the bad, it, it never sucks. Yeah. You know, everything is a lesson in life, and if we don't accept the hardships and pains that come with any endeavor, how do we know how to appreciate the true joy of it? Right, because the joy you get from a success is knowing that every potential failure that occurred, you fixed or your team fixed. Um, and then also, if you do fail, it's a great learning experience in and of itself. So what happens when Chris gets disappointed, when something fails, when Chris falls on his ass? Usually it's my face. Okay. Absolute fall forward <laughs> on my face. And bounce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, hit, and hit again. Yeah. That's right. That's right. What's that like? Um, is the, was it Gary Bean that said that? Somebody said... Uh, you know, it's not about getting punched in the face by Mike Tyson. It's, it's the guy, you know, Conor McGregor is coming right behind you. To oh, yeah. In the back of the head. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Being an entrepreneur, you're going to get beaten up a lot. Um, Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. That's right. That's, that's, that's right. the Tyson. Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, and you, have you been punched? Yes. <laughs> a lot. Um, I've taken my beatings and my whoopings. And uh, I think, you know, I'm still trying to learn from everything. And I make mistakes constantly. Uh I'm far from perfect, um, and I hope that no one would ever consider me being close to it. I have many faults, and um, I just try and learn from my mistakes. In the next hour, we're going to go over all those faults. <laughs> just an hour. Really? Yeah. Maybe 24. Um, but, but when I fall on my face, um, you know, your ego gets bruised, and so you have to check yourself and uh, see, see what you did learn, see what happened, and how can you prevent that. Um, the most you can hope for is to not make the same mistakes over and over again. Uh, if you do that and you are expecting a different result, then you truly are crazy. Right? You're an idiot. You, well, yeah. that, that's the definition, definition of insanity. Of insanity. Right? Yeah. yeah, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Yes. So um, I do fall on my face, and you know I, I'm, I'm able to get up by the grace of God and from His help, and because I have a tremendous support team with friends, family, Daisy, right? Yeah. Uh, so um, the people in my life that I've surrounded myself with that will put up with me, I, I owe it all to them, really. You know, and that that drive that uh, my father and my grandfather instilled in me. So I'm does hard, it, I'm hard headed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, which helps. Does it? So what's where's the end? Where what what where does the conquering stop? Where does the where, where's Chris three years from now? Five years from now? That's a great question. Yes. Doing another podcast, okay. I guess, with, with the wildly successful and nationally acclaimed John. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, you know, in three years, I, I have three projects right now that are going to last me two years. Okay. And so more will come along the way. But I think 
in three years, I want to be doing more than what I'm doing now and, and positively impacting more people than, than I am now. That's my hope and dream. It's, Is it going to be here? You know, I don't know. Okay. I don't know what the future looks like. I know that I will always be tied to Columbus, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will always, if I leave, I'll always be coming back. This is my home. Um, this is what has given me and made me into who I am. Uh, and, and to turn your back on that is foolhardy. Mm-hmm. And, um, everything uh, and every person that we become is a direct result of where we grew up, who we were around with, and and what influenced us us during that period. So you really have to respect that, um, and and pay homage to it in some sort of way. So yeah, my hope is that if I'm not in Columbus, I'm somewhere else doing something wonderful that um, will hopefully drive back to Columbus mm-hmm. you know, and, and give back to this community that's given so much to me and to, to my family. That's the hope. The hope is that in three years, I'm rocking along and things are fantastic. Can you tell us uh, anything that, that you're working on that's, I mean, obviously you can't give out some information that's that, that we don't know about, but is there some new building? Is there something new that I'm going to drive by sit soon and be like, oh, that's Chris, Chris is working on that. Did y'all know this is coming? Like, is there anything you can, or no? <laughs> no, there's not. Radio John. science. Yeah. Radio science. Uh, no, um, I can give you a little bit of information. We, the Cotton Companies has a, a few really exciting projects that we're working on right now. One of them is what uh, we're calling the Dogwood Market. And that is a development that's occurring on 13th Street between 2nd Avenue and 3rd Avenue, really on the southern end of, of that block. And that is repurposing and, and re having and stabilizing an existing 1939, 30,000 square foot uh, auto shop. Oh, yes. Uh, formerly known as Ray's Uptown Body Shop. Yes. Um, and also the regions. The and see, I love that Chris does this because he, he drops a little hint before he tears something down or excavates it. So I can get over there and do some cool photo shoots with people. That's before. Right. Uh, so I like being on the inside of that. So. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, we're, we're excited about this project because the hope is that we can bring some elements that you'll see in places like Atlanta or New York. Uh, we can bring those elements into Columbus through this development. Um, the development will have several restaurants, um, some retail, kind of like a, almost like a Pont City Market type wow. deal, if you will, on a much smaller scale. That's huge. Um, so we're really excited about, about the project and is this public information? Do people know this yet or is this? They don't. They okay. don't. So this is all, you know, proprietary information that I'm sharing with you. Okay. We'll only stay here on the podcast, I'm sure. You have to listen to the podcast that's to right. find out what's going on. Yeah, yeah. that's right. But we'll make we'll be making announcements uh, pretty soon uh, along with some renderings. And um, uh, we're, we're just kind of working through right now. But the, the main goal and what people are seeing right now, you know, occurring is the stabilization of, of the the historic structure. So, mm-hmm. uh, first things first, make sure the building will remain standing, which is what we're doing now. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, it helps. Yeah, it you, <laughs> you got to think about that. So, um, you also just got your master's or your MBA? Yes, yes. Uh, just finished up the executive uh, master's program at Clemson University and received a uh, MBA in entrepreneurship and innovation. 
Wow. Um, yeah, it was a two-year program, kind of part-time, um, which really um, took up a lot of my, my free time. Yeah. The, the previous two years. Why? Why did you did you go back and do that? I mean, you're already working, you're you're moving, things are happening, and now you're going to go back and get a textbook and deal with deal with college again. Is it because you want to go to the Clemson games? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, absolutely not. Yeah. Um, well, you, your points, your question is well taken because I, I, I received a, a master's in real estate development from Auburn in mm-hmm. 2012. So theoretically, I had got my graduate degree. I should be done. But there was something inside me that felt that I would be better served and could be a more astute business person if I had the, the key elements that come with a, an MBA graduate degree. And what appealed to me about the Clemson program was that it was an executive program, which meant that you were working with people who had been in the workforce for 10 years, 10 plus years. Okay. So it wasn't, you weren't sitting around with the, the 22 year old who's just fresh out of college. Right. You were discussing things and principles and uh, applied things yeah. that have been applied. Right. Yeah. With, with people who were heading up their own company and they just may have wanted a, uh, an MBA. So um, the appeal for me was how do I become better and arm myself with the right tools to effectively grow and impact the business and company I just started up, which okay. was the cotton companies. So I, I firmly believe that we should never stop learning and I believe that we can accomplish anything as long as we surround ourselves with the right people and make certain that we have the necessary arrows in our quiver um, to be prepared for when the, the, the hardships occur. Is college worth it? If I had a 19-year-old come in here and uh, and sit down and say, you know, I'm thinking about either going straight into work or, or going to college, what do you say, Chris, from somebody that has a successful business? Um, How do you answer that? You know... I think it's, it's, a, it's a wildly debated subject, right? You know, uh, all the successful people who never finished college, et cetera, et cetera. College is a great litmus test for people and helping them understand how to learn and how to acquire more knowledge, right? Mm-hmm. That's really what your college degree is. Can you take information and process it and spit it back out? Uh, can you do that? Now, if you can. And do it effectively. Right. If you right. can, then theoretically, you'll succeed in the workforce. Yes. Um, the same, though, could be said for somebody who doesn't go to college and, and they work under a, a mentor or they get, you know, school of hard knocks on the job training. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll have wild successes in both both areas, you know, depending on the path you take. It really boils down to the person. Do you have to go to college to be successful? No. Mm-hmm. It's really you'll be successful if that's who you are, if you have that drive. Whether or not you go to college, I think, is um, is irrelevant. You know? Now, college is, is fantastic because it, it it immerses you in an area where tools are readily available. And so what I believe that college and also graduate school helps with is kind of accelerating your um, exposure to, to things. And therefore, instead of spending five years on the job training, you can learn a whole bunch of knowledge in two years. Right, with a graduate degree. Right. And so I, I believe that the graduate degree helps accelerate that process and it may, hopefully, it will prevent you from taking unnecessary you know, lumps on the head, so to speak. Yeah. Um, which I believe the MRED program at Auburn did for me and the MBA program at Clemson did for me. That's, yeah, they, they uh, 
I was uh, I went to my dad went to Georgia. I went to Georgia. I went to graduate school at Alabama, and I always regretted not staying for just one more college football season. <laughs> a lot of my friends were on the five year plan, right. you know, because you got you get that one more uh, one more football season in. Well, Chris, this has been great, man. I mean, that was a that hour went by. It was quick. Really fast, yeah. yeah. Thank you for the uh, opportunity. Oh, this is great. I mean, this is exactly what I want to talk about. Somebody that's passionate about what they do, that's uh, got opinions, uh, that, that stands by them, that's creative, and that's uh, that's doing things that people need to be aware of. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for awesome the Awesome morning. Thank you, Chris.